I think we should do the classic, um, what house are you in? Oh, yeah. <laughs> BuzzFeed quiz break. Why go what house are you in? Where do we go to Pottermore? <laughs> go to fucking Pottermore, I guess. Personally, I'm a Ravenclaw. What about you, Bestie? I'm a Gryffindor. Oh, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Young Adult Adult Reviews, where two young-ish adults review books meant for much younger adults. Or children. I'm Chloe. And I'm Honor, and this week we are discussing Harry Potter, books one through four by J.K. Rowling. And if you somehow haven't read it yet, here's the spoiler warning. Oh, fuck, Honor, there was an, there was an error there. What? Hatsune Miku wrote Harry Potter. For this episode, we're going to have a content warning for abuse and probably discussion of transphobia. I'm assuming we're going to touch upon that. Uh, and without if not, further... check in next episode, because this is part one, besties. Yeah, this is part one. The next three. Oof. All right. So on to the summary. Harry Potter is a newborn when he's ditched at the door of his abusive aunt and uncle after the sudden death of his parents. Eleven years later, he's still kicking it under the stairs with his Aunt Petunia, Uncle Vernon, and Cousin Dudley. After some strange occurrences on his cousin's birthday, Harry starts getting a shit ton of letters addressed to him. His aunt and uncle go on a trip to get rid of them, but a giant man by the name of Hagrid finds him and lets him know that he's a wizard. Crazy. That's not all, though. Harry is kind of a celebrity. He's the only known person who has survived the killing curse from a fearsome wizard named Lord Voldemort and has the lightning star to prove it. His parents weren't so lucky, though. Hagrid takes Harry on a shopping trip and to the train that leads to Hogwarts, a school for witches and wizards. On the train, he meets Ron Weasley and Hermione Granger, who will become his BFFs for the next seven years. At Hogwarts, we meet Snape, a mean potions professor, Albus Dumbledore, the kind headmaster, and Quirrell, a strange man who teaches defense against the dark arts, and Minerva McGonagall, who is a stern but kind professor. In terms of other students, we also meet Draco Malfoy, who is a tool and a half. There are four houses at Hogwarts. You have Gryffindor, the brave ones, Ravenclaw, the smart ones, Slytherin, the cunning ones, and Hufflepuff. Our crew gets sorted into Gryffindor. Hijinks ensue. Harry becomes the youngest Quidditch player in a long time at Hogwarts as he, Ron, and Hermione track down the Sorcerer's Stone, or Philosopher's Stone, if you're not American, which is being held at Hogwarts. It turns out Professor Quirrell is hosting Lord Voldemort on the back of his head. Harry stares into the mirror of Iris' head who gives him the stone. Quirrell seizes Harry, but they both get burned and pass out. Once he wakes up, Dumbledore explains to Harry that his mother's love protects him from Voldemort. Due to his mischief and bravery, Gryffindor wins the House Cup, I guess? Over the summer, Harry is stewing in misery once more, but Ron comes to save him in a flying car after he receives a mysterious warning from a house elf named Dobby, telling him not to return to Hogwarts. This is in book two now. When trying to get to Hogwarts with Ron, Harry is barred once more from reaching the train. They have to get creative in their methods and take the flying car. Meanwhile, at Hogwarts, a vain professor has taken up Quirrell's position named Gilderoy Lockhart. Students start turning up paralyzed, and Harry breaks his arm in a Quidditch game. Dobby isn't fucking around. He did all that to try and send Harry home. But once Hermione becomes paralyzed and Ron's sister Ginny is abducted to the Chamber of Secrets, Harry and Ron have no choice but to follow through the haunted girl's bathroom. Lockhart follows them and tries to obliterate their memories to claim their adventure for his own, but he uses Ron's broken wand, which backfires the spell on him. 
It turns out that a snake called a basilisk can kill with a look, and Ginny had a journal where she was talking to someone named Tom Riddle. Turns out, his name is an anagram for I am Lord Voldemort. Who picks names like that? Asshole? Anyway, Harry stabs the journal with a basilisk tooth and kills the snake with the sword of Godric Gryffindor. All is well. Next year. Harry accidentally does some magic outside school and has to lie low for a little bit. Meanwhile, a man called Sirius Black has escaped from wizard prison Azkaban. Word on the street is that he wants a word with Harry. Also, there's a black dog following him. To combat this threat, prison guards known as Dementors are on campus. One gets a little too close to Harry for comfort, but luckily new professor Remus Lupin comes to his aid with a little expecto patronum. For the hijinks of this year, Ron's brothers Fred and George come to aid with the Marauder's Map, signed by a Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. Hermione is also partaking in some time shenanigans herself because she's an overachiever who wants to take literally every class. Meanwhile, the dog is back and it kidnaps Ron. Harry follows and so does Lupin, who is actually a werewolf. Lupin explains that he, Harry's dad, and Sirius Black were tight back in the day. But Ron's rat, who is really a man named Peter Pettigrew, framed Sirius for James's murder and got him sent to Azkaban. With the help of Hermione's time-turner, the Golden Trio saves the day and helps Sirius escape on a hippogriff slated for execution. Sirius takes a role as Harry's guardian from afar and gives Harry a nifty broom to prove it. Book four, after a spooky exposition where the Death Eaters, Voldemort supporters, make their return known, it's Triwizard Tournament time, baby. Three other wizarding schools come together to compete for power and glory, with champions chosen from each one. We have Floor from Bobatons, Victor Crumb from Durmstrang, and Edward Cullen, I mean, Cedric Diggory from Hogwarts, and Harry Potter from Hogwarts again? Someone set him up, but whatever, it's probably fine. Let him compete to the death anyway. Meanwhile, the new defense professor is a former Auror named Mad-Eye Moody. Whatever, we'll come back to that. In the final challenge of the tournament, a maze, Harry and Cedric find the trophy at the same time. It's a port key that takes them to the graveyard where Death Eaters are waiting to use Harry to restore Voldemort. Cedric dies as collateral, but Harry manages to escape after crossing streams with Voldemort's wand and touching the trophy again. Mad-Eye Moody finds Harry when he gets back and tries to kill him, but it's David Tennant, I mean, Barty Crouch Jr. McGonagall, Dumbledore, and Snape stop him, but that can't change what's coming. Voldemort is back. Dun-dun-dun! Shall we explain why we chose this series, Bessie? Uh, we went with Harry Potter for December because in true ABC channel fashion, it's the Harry Potter movie marathon for Christmas time. It is. We Happy should... holidays. Honor... I don't know if we should really ask each other what we think about this book, because I don't know if that's a fair question to ask of such a prolific series, you know? Understandable. Instead, we can, because, and I bring this up only because I do know your story, we can explain what happened to the first time we read these books. Yes, our first experience with Harry Potter, I think is, I think is very fair. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the third grade for me, and everyone else was reading Harry Potter, and I wanted to do that. I wanted to be like the cool kids. Uh, so I go to the library to check out Harry Potter, and the only one that was in, or the earliest one that was in at the series, was Prisoner of Azkaban. So I checked out Prisoner of Azkaban and started to read that, because why not? And, uh, oh, fuck. And then I believe what happened was, while I was reading Prisoner of Azkaban, Sorcerer's Stone got checked back in. So I then checked out Sorcerer's Stone and started to read that concurrently. 
as Prisoner of Azkaban. And then I moved on to Chamber of Secrets by itself. Then I did Goblet of Fire. And from there, the series I read in chronological order. What about you? What was your first experience with Harry Potter? Well, I actually read it in order. (laughs) But my first experience with Harry Potter was not the book themselves. My whole family actually loves Harry Potter, has always loved it since it came out. And so we used to like go and watch the movies and stuff. So I'd seen a couple of movies before I'd even read the books, but I hadn't really paid all that much attention to them. But I distinctly remember going to the movie theater when the fourth movie came out and watching it through. And I wasn't, I don't really remember too much of it, but I remember getting to the scene where Harry is confronting Voldemort at the end and Voldemort's face came up on screen. (laughs) And my mom very much is always like checking to make sure if I have to go to the bathroom before important parts of a movie. And I'm always like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. Well, Voldemort's face scared me so bad that I literally was like, um, I have to go to the bathroom, even though I didn't, because I didn't <laughs> want to see his face. And my mom was like, right now? Like, really? And I was like, uh-huh. You're like, I'm get so that sorry, out of here. Mom. I don't care. So sorry, mom. <laughs> but then later, I think it was third grade also for me that I ended up reading the books. And I read one book, and then I would watch the movie, and then I read the second book, watch the movie, and continued on but that way. So it was, it was a good time. How exciting. So you said that you had some discussion points to talk about. Do you have those ready to, to oh talk my God. about? Thank you for bringing that up. I made a spreadsheet. You made a spreadsheet? I'm kidding. Oh my God, is it on really. the drive? It's literally just a little questionnaire thing on my to-do list on my phone. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it is in a certain order. So it's, it's kind of, it's not spreadsheet-ish. I don't know why I said it like that. Okay, so I wanted to talk about, you know, a lot of the things that I sometimes think is a problem with books is kind of the world building and setup of books, especially with some of the books that we have read for this podcast. For the series, it seems like the authors have started their series out and then come up with ideas as they've gone through and added things in that didn't quite flow with how they started off the books. Okay. And one of the interesting things that I really enjoyed about this series rereading it is that even from the start of the first book, there are little hints and points of future books laid out already in the first one, mm-hmm. which I think it's extremely well done. There's still a lot that's like, there's things that are like, that doesn't quite make sense. I don't know why you did it that way. But I think there was so much world building and set up for her entire series from the get-go. And it was really well done. And I, partly I think that's why the series did so well. It's because everything was so well set up from the start. It was well thought out. It was well written and directed and foreshadowed. And I thought that it was really great. So I was really just surprised to see just how much there really was from the start. I, okay, there. I do think that there is something to be said about the way that Harry Potter plants seeds, like you were saying, for later mm-hmm. books. Because I think what makes it such an intriguing story, especially for children, is because it is a mystery book disguised as a magical adventure. Yes. Especially the third book, and especially, really like the first three books are almost, not not quite a whodunit. The second book, more of a whodunit than the other two, uh, but it's all a mystery in some form. And then for the fourth book, you kind of deviate from that pattern. And it Mm -hmm. goes more into a trial format, if that makes sense, you know? And by that point, like the reader's attention is already very invested and you just get right into it. I think the first three books are really imperative in the storytelling 
And then that is like the hook. And then you're along for the ride for the rest of the series, you know? Mm-hmm. I did notice some things specifically in the first book that didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first off, this one's just really dumb. Um, but you know how Hermione was trapped in the bathroom with an ogre? Ron and Harry talked about going in. They shut the ogre in a room, turned the key, and pulled it out of the lock. But Hermione and the ogre were in the girl's bathroom. Why was there a lock and key inserted into a lock in, on the girl's bathroom? Like, who's locking girls in the bathroom from the outside? <laughs> that is a great I, question, Honor. I have some real questions on that one. I have a question. Why not just Alohomora it? Oh, that leads into another question of mine, right? You know, they have... All of the stuff for the Foster's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone, to be kept away, like really locked up tight. You got all these trials and tests and things going on. I do on. like how the final puzzle is critical thinking. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> because like, wizards, wizards don't know how to critical think. That. <laughs> they said, I don't know, magic solve all problem. What do you mean I have to think? Snape said, watch this. <laughs> Snape was kind of a girl boss for that one, I'm not going to lie. No, but they literally have this room, like... <laughs> You just literally aloha more yourself into the room. Like, what? Mm-hmm. You're going to have all of these, like, trials and tests and things, and they can get in with a spell you learn your first year? Mm-hmm. What? I mean, I know that they can lock a door without being able to use that spell and have people get in. So why are you using that? Why is this set up so that three first-year students can pass all of these trials? Mm-hmm. Like, y'all are supposed to be smarter than this. Mm-hmm. no right <laughs> but it does give something there is something there about you know stick to the basics because basics of almost anything will get you through a really long way mm-hmm. so that there said it does take three first year students not just one of them it took seven or nine of them to like set it up but three of them using their talents individually to break through mm-hmm. you know like because well, we we had the the, the potions we had the key we had the ogre we had um the chess match and we had the plants and then fluffy yeah well uh, overall I'm missing something anyway oh and then the, the mirror, mirror was the like the, the final trial if you yeah. will and overall it took i guess you could divide it into like three categories and it was like dexterity strength which i would argue like bravery and courage would probably fall under strength because if we're going by house rules that would be mm-hmm. a gryffindor trait and then we have wisdom and knowledge, which Hermione kind of carried them on those. I'm not going to lie. Ron she was really like, did. To be fair, she carries them with them. <laughs> you go. <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> not me. Not Hermione. Not you. You. <laughs> uh, we had to do that. What are we <laughs> had to be done. So we talked about the storytelling and the world building. But let's talk about how... These are perceived in a context meant for children. One of my favorite authors that I love very dearly, dearly to my heart, Ursula K. Le Guin, wrote a lot of sci-fi and fantasy back in the 80s. I don't know. She has this wonderful quote that I always think about when I think of Harry Potter. And basically, if you think of a take, Ursula K. Le Guin has thought of it and she thought of it decades before you. She is so 
many light years ahead of society as a whole. It's literally astounding. So someone asked her what she thought about Harry Potter, and she said, it seemed like a lively kid's fantasy crossed with a school novel, good fare for its age group, but stylistically ordinary, imaginatively derivative, and ethically rather mean-spirited. I would like to focus in on that last little bit that she said there, ethically mean-spirited. Because in recent years, more so than ever, as the people who grew up with Harry Potter are now becoming adults with critical thinking skills, mm-hmm. are analyzing one of their favorite pieces of literature, and they take a look at it and they're like, oh my god, this sucks. <laughs> you yeah. know? Because I think a lot of people that are fans of Harry Potter today are fans of fanon content. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, all the young dudes is a wonderful example of this. Not, none of it is canon, but people treat it like it is because they are the characters that we want to see and the representation that we want to see. And meanwhile, like the Golden Trio has like good solid like plots and they captivated our attention when we were younger and the nostalgia factor is there, you know? But there are certain things about the prose that just don't sit that well with us as adults. So we kind of resort to this fan-made canon that allows us to like the things without feeling yucky about it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I think there's just so much that has changed from the time this was written and we've read it to to nowadays based on our understanding of what's really happening within the books and their interactions and really like the content of what's going on and kind of how messed up it is in a way. Um, yeah. I mean, you've got the, the serious abuse that Harry went through with his family Mm-hmm. You've got the way that they all treat each other. And of course, you have all of the old values and the treatment it has changed so much for like LGBTQ plus all of that has changed so much to now. And none of that's represented in these books. These books are very much old style thinking. And, you know, we all know what J.K. Rowling is like. So, yeah, we all will talk about yeah. that probably more in depth later and how that. Reflects yeah. In her so writing. so it, it makes sense that she wrote it that way. But we. We see all of the problems that arise because of that. Yes. Just to like add a time frame, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Sorcerer's Stone, whatever, came out in 1997. Mm-hmm. But I believe that it takes place in 1990 because Deathly Hollows takes place in the year that Sorcerer's Stone came out. So Harry Potter takes place entirely in the 90s. So that's kind of the time frame that we're looking at. But it came out over a series of years, films included. I believe the last film came out in what, 2011? Yeah, I think it was, uh, I was middle school still. Yeah, okay, so Deathly Hollows Part 2 came out in 2011. This is a storytelling canon that has stretched from 1997 to 2011. That is a decade and a half, right? So we are covering a lot of socio-political landscape, but that is not to say that everything that she did in these original books was okay even back then, you know? Mm-hmm. First of all, like, let's just address the elephant in the room. The overwhelming comparison of Voldemort to Hitler. Yikes. <laughs> like, right down to him being from a, a muggle father and a witch mother and being mm-hmm. kind of sensitive about his, quote-unquote, unpure blood. But that's and accurate because he literally, he literally, he took one race and basically was like, that's not okay, and mm-hmm. turned everyone against that. In this case, by race, I mean non-magic it's exactly the same kind of thing same ideas same concept no like if you say that the death eaters are anything other than wizard nazis you are delusional Mm -hmm. i'm sorry but it's all right there 
on the page, you know? But I feel like there's also something to be said about inventing a wizard slur mm-hmm. for those that aren't of pure blood. Because, of course, there's the word mudblood, which is what Draco calls Hermione in book three or book two. No, it's book two because Ron hexes him to eat slugs and then it backfires on himself. You're right. But I feel like, and like, obviously, it's a word that you shouldn't say, but I feel like it's also kind of a hard subject for kids to understand, especially when you don't devote a whole lot of attention to it. I think it's less hard to understand because I very clearly understood that that was not a good thing. I think... Mm -hmm. The depth of it is what kids don't get. It is a little shallow. It's shallowly portrayed in Harry Potter. I would agree. But again, this is a kid's book. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily need that much depth placed on kids. But that begs the question, going back to like the thing where how developed are kids' minds? What are they capable of understanding? Is this something that should be made shallow so that kids can understand it? And was it, is there a better way that J.K. Rowling could have gone about this? I would say, personally, I think for, like, young adult genre, very much you can go into the depth and stuff. I think for kids that are still, like, elementary school level, like this is meant for, Mm -hmm. I think that's a little bit too much. I agree. I think that this is kind of a big topic to tackle and try and make small for children to digest. It's like placing a metaphor on the Holocaust and putting it in a children's series. It doesn't quite work because... Well, because you kind of have to make it black and white for children because they don't quite at that age understand the gray area Mm -hmm. of life. Like, you know, they explained to us, going back to the Hitler idea, that, that he's like a horrible, horrible person. And you don't see the other side of like what his his family saw from him. Like mm-hmm. he wasn't a horrible person to them. Like that he's that's a gray area. Like he did good things, he did bad things, like um doesn't make any of it right. Mm-hmm. But well, then it's hard to explain that to children that are that young still. It is difficult though, because she does try and give the redemption art treatment. Like not in these books currently, of course, but she does try to humanize Voldemort in later books. You know, mm-hmm. and we can like talk th- about that when we get there. I think that stems from the fact that, you know, when the first couple of books came out, it was intended for the young audience. And then it kind of blew up into this whole thing where everybody was reading them and loving them and the whole family was in on it. And so Mm -hmm. as you get through each book, there's more depth and more story and more understanding through each book. And I think that comes from the fact that there was a bigger audience on who was reading this. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's definitely a fair assessment. Because if there is a bigger audience, you would want to appeal to like the widest themes possible. Staying in the vein of ethically mean-spirited, but going back to what you were saying about kind of a progression of certain issues, especially in the LGBT department, uh, we can probably touch upon J.K. Rowling's recent activities, I think, and how in an effort to stay relevant every now and then she'll just tweet something shocking and sexually graphic that alludes to the sexualities of one of the main characters, usually Dumbledore. Like, I think the tweet that broke the camel's back, as it were, was the one where she talked about Dumbledore and Grindelwald's passionate sexual relationship. (laughs) (laughs) No, because, like, the thing is, making it canon after the fact, but refusing to acknowledge it before then is absolute pandering. And it's not good representation because you didn't write it that way. Mm -hmm. Yes, like, 
audience members can derive exactly what they want from it. But it's one thing to talk about something that was released in the 90s that had LGBT connotation that the world wasn't ready for yet, but it was always written to be this LGBT story. Let's talk about The Matrix. The Matrix is a metaphor for transness. And the Wachowskis, when they wrote The Matrix, this is what they had in mind. And when the time was right, they came out and said that this is what it was always about. But J.K. Rowling like went back and forth and it's like, oh, readers can get whatever they want out of this. Oh, Dumbledore's not gay. Dumbledore had a passionate sexual relationship with Grindelwald, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's different when you write it with that always in mind, but you don't say anything because the world's not ready for it yet. It's totally different in a representation standpoint when you always have that in mind just to reveal it at a different point in time. That's what I'm trying to say. The intention originally. She had no intention originally, but when she tried to please the public by making it there, that's what made it bad. That's Mm -hmm. what made it embarrassing for her. (laughs) Because it's kind of like she's trying to save her own butt, you know? Right. And it just reeks of saviorship. It's not a good look, Joanne. (laughs) It's not a good look. (laughs) In the similar vein... When people asked J.K. Rowling if Hermione was Black, she said, my readers can draw whatever conclusions they want about my characters. My readers can imagine the characters however they want, instead of just giving a straight up yes or no answer. And then in the, in the Cursed Child, which is, of course, like now out of canon, they casted a Black Hermione. It's decanonized. So it's just kind of like that flip-flopping behavior that isn't really consistent. Well, and I think it's interesting because there's... Literally, I think quotes from her after the movies when she met Emma Watson, who played Hermione, she was like, you are exactly how I pictured her. Mm -hmm. And Emma Watson's a white girl. Right. Like, she just is. (laughs) And so you're going to say that and then turn around and go, oh, she's like, she could totally be black. I totally like. She's however you want to picture her. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but it's just, it's the flip flopping for me Mm -hmm. personally. Mm -hmm. Uh, Uh, We should probably say, uh, while we're um, talking about J.K. Rowling and not supporting her as an author, I did buy my entire Harry Potter series secondhand from Goodwill. So do that because literally every Goodwill I go into has it in just like hardcover. So if you are wanting to read Harry Potter or you want to like complete your collection for nostalgic reasons, I've had mine for years, go to fucking Goodwill. Don't, Don't buy them full price, please. Like. So I want to go kind of back to the differences between children and adults, because both both read these books when they came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we have read them as children and now as adults. So, mm-hmm. you know, based on the on the themes of these books, what were the differences on what you drew from it as a child versus on, now on this reread? Well, as a child, let's let's talk about this, because we've talked about this previously. Children do not have fully formed frontal cortexes or whatever, they don't have the capacity for critical thinking or making decisions, Mm -hmm. making informed decisions, that is. They can absolutely make simple decisions, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're good ones. And then going back to Ursula Le Guin's calling Harry Potter kind of mean-spirited, when J.K. Rowling describes characters in a negative context, I felt that as a child, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I I was a fat child. I'm a chubby adult. Like, I'll say that, but when J.K. Rowling associated fatness with being a negative character trait and kind of a morally based character is always being fat. I felt that as a kid, you know, whether or not I realized it, I did kind of internalize it and take it to heart, you know, because I know there were like plenty of other fat kids who read Harry Potter and they probably felt the same way, but it's 
difficult to see yourself being represented like that on the page, especially at such a young age. What about you? I would say I drew a lot more context within the depths of the themes. Mm -hmm. A lot of it, I think, while I did understand the surface value of it as a kid, I didn't look past that. Mm -hmm. So, for example, with the first book, you know, you see the surface value of what Harry and Ron see against Snape. They see all of these setups and they go, oh, Snape's a bad person. And then context-wise, not that he is a good person. No, right. We'll get into that, that. When we, when we, <laughs> next week. Yeah. But I saw the differences on what was happening and how he wasn't exactly the absolute worst as they were kind of seeing him to be. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was just more in-depth understanding of what was going on and what was happening, which I thought was interesting because it kind of gave a whole new view to the books themselves because they're so much more in-depth than I realized that they are on all of their themes. I would agree with that because going back to like the thing that's like uh, children who grew up with Harry Potter are now recontextualizing it as adults. When we were kids, I think that we believed that Snape was bad and Dumbledore was kind because... That's what the narration told us. It's like Dumbledore has kind eyes, so he must be kind. Snape mm-hmm. has like this mean sneer and a really Jewish coated appearance, but we can talk about that later. Uh, Snape has like for this me, mean... it's the greasy hair. <laughs> uh... <laughs> They're like, ew, he's not clean. He's definitely a bad person. <laughs> no, like making him unclean, giving him these stereotypically like mean features and having us take that as at face value as oh then he must be mean when we're children because that's what the narration tells us to do to the point that in half-blood prince and deathly hollows which again we can get to this later when jk rowling tells us that snape is good we believed that as children it's like oh well he had reasons yeah you can have reasons but that doesn't mean they're fucking good ones i think that the (laughs) the big problem with this series being a children's series is that when you are told that characters have reasons that's like enough to moralize them Mm -hmm. when that is not in fact the case like ever you know and I think that again comes from the change of her audience grew and so her intentions with the books change within the depth of what she was trying to explain it became less black and white and more of that gray middle ground Mm -hmm. as books progressed I would like to kind of go in a little bit to that that kind of black and white middle ground for our characters and how we're told that they are supposed to be one thing, but in reality they're not. For example, Snape, we're told, um, is bad, but he has good moments where he tries to save Harry. Mm-hmm. Not that he is good, but that's, again, the middle ground. We're told Dumbledore is a good, kind person, but then we see things that he does that aren't so good, like leave him with the Dursley. Dursley. Yeah, that's a big one. That's That's a a big big one. one. (laughs) Who were extremely abusive. McGonagall was literally like, I'm not so sure about this, dude. And he's like, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. What got me is none of, well, I don't know if McGonagall stayed, but he, Dumbledore himself, did not stay to make sure that Harry was taken in. All he left was a, literally, all he left was a note to the Dursleys, and he never checked in to make sure that the Dursleys were doing what the note had asked. There was no I do believe that McGonagall checked in. I have to believe. I would hope that she did, but Dumbledore himself did not. Mm -hmm. No one made sure that Harry was being brought up the way that Dumbledore had requested. And then we have, again, kind of back to what 
you were saying where characters are described one way, like, for example, Neville, he's described as, like, not very useful or helpful or smart or whatever. You see all the, like, brave acts he does, the very kind-hearted things that he does. And there's so many very, very good qualities about him that are totally erased because of how she writes his character. Exactly. Because in the first few books, uh, which is, of course, what we've read, Neville is described as fat and he's described as like bumbling, forgetful, Mm -hmm. stupid, really good with plants. That's neither here nor there. But when in book seven, of course, we see him join Dumbledore's army and really come into his own, he slims down and loses weight. Mm -hmm. Weight directly correlates to morality in the Harry Potter universe. And it's Mm -hmm. fucked up. Or Hermione and her appearance. Mm-hmm. The, the bushy hair and, and the, the buck teeth and the buck teeth and they kind of like make fun of her for that and then she becomes their friend and it's not really that big of a thing anymore and it's like huh wow <laughs> mm-hmm. no and then uh, snape having jewish coded features and consistently being described as a bad guy you know it just all adds up to kind of a caricature that doesn't sit well with me at all and nor does it sit well with a lot of people you know Mm -hmm. but I think you know even if it's been said before sometimes I think it's good to bring these things up because there are ways that we can learn to be better for future writing and future just ways that we view the world Mm -hmm. to better ourselves and not be like that okay but can we talk about how like the house system is inherently flawed yeah because at 17, I was not the same person that I was at 11. I think that your values would change and shift and grow. And I think that you should be resorted every single year. But that's just me. I think it's because it's supposed to be based on the, the core value that you have. Because all of your values will, will change and, and kind of reorder themselves. But you generally have that like main one you stick to. I want to talk about... Um, <laughs> How strictly every bad wizard came from Slytherin. Yeah, let's talk about that. Every single one did. Can we talk about Peter Pettigrew? Was there like one good one? I feel like there was like one good Slytherin. It's going back to the simplification of story concepts for the sake of telling a children's story and the harmful impact that that can have. The result of that, every bad wizard coming from Slytherin. The result of that, Asian people getting placed in Ravenclaw, going along with the stereotype that Asian people are always smart. Not to mention Asian character named Cho Chang. Enough said. What the fuck? (laughs) The results of that is even to this day, we still stereotype each house. Mm -hmm. There is a stigma per house and, and... As soon as someone goes, oh, this is our house, we then view people according to that. For example, as soon as you learn that someone's Slytherin, you're like, oh, like you're cunning and evil. It's like, no, they might be cunning, but that doesn't mean it has to be in an evil way. No, right. And it permeates society, Mm -hmm. which is the funniest shit because it is so societally relevant, especially among Gen Z. Yes. I know I made a joke about Hufflepuff earlier, like in the summer. (laughs) Yes. But I am I am just as much a Hufflepuff as I am a Ravenclaw. I am 5149 almost consistently every single time. But it's that joke where oh Hufflepuffs are just like the catch-all. Isn't that literally the thing in the Hogwarts poem where Helena Hufflepuff takes all the fucking wizards that no one else wanted? And that's like kind of fucked up. But also it wasn't written as an inclusive way. Mm-hmm. It was a written as a oh you didn't fit with anyone else you can go over there. 
No, right. It's but like in reality, it's like the kid who didn't get picked for kickball. kickball. Literally. But in reality, it is inclusive and it was intended to be, we will take you in because you belong here. But Not Hufflepuff- as a, oh, you don't get to go anywhere else. You have, you're, you're, you have to go to them. The Hufflepuff house is an inclusive house measured not by who it excludes, but by whom it includes and how they not, succeed. Not ASU. <laughs> not the ASU charter. <laughs> I go to the Hufflepuff of America's universities. What do you want from me? ASU is Hufflepuff. <laughs> Hufflepuffs are innovative. I'll say you it. it. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> but then again, there's also like the stall hat uh, conundrum. Which people are like, oh, Harry was almost a stall hat. No, Hermione was the closest to becoming a stall hat their year. I'm sure it was between Gryffindor and Ravenclaw. Mm-hmm. But the stall hat was like, oh, you'd be really good in Slytherin. And Harry was like, mm-mm. And he was like, eh. But that, and of course, uh, this ties into later books, but that was because of the seven horcruxes that Voldemort had and Harry, spoiler alert, being one of them. Harry's a horcrux? I'm kidding. <laughs> No, bestie. What? Um, anyway, maybe don't, no, but, maybe don't uh, keep reading. <laughs> but here's the thing. Going back to that simplified stigma that's associated with each of the houses and like for me, it's society. Harry found out enough about Slytherin on the fucking train ride. Mm-hmm. He like had not even been in this world for a week. And from like a four hour train ride, he was like, I don't want to be a Slytherin man. They sound bad. Literally. They sound bad. He was begging the house. He was like, not Slytherin, not Slytherin, not Slytherin. <laughs> I was like, damn. If okay. I was a sorting hat, I would have said Slytherin just to be spiteful. <laughs> Y'all are talking about what houses you're in. I'm the sorting hat. Get in line. <laughs> I, I think this is a good question. How would the book have played out differently in a different time period or setting? I just imagined Gen Z Harry Potter. I'm so sorry. Literally. No, literally. (laughs) Okay, what I think is so funny, because in the 90s, you don't really have to worry about technology. And I think they tried to like retcon this with like supplementary materials later. Uh, But like the thing with Hogwarts is that anything with an electronic signal dies once it enters the castle grounds, uh, if Mm. if I'm remembering correctly. How do muggle-born children call their parents? Like, do they have iPhones? In Gen Z? That's a good question. Better question. What if you've got people with like the, the like heart monitors or like stuff that is like technology that keeps them alive? What do they do? I know we wanted to keep this lighthearted, but you know what JK Rowling said? <laughs> she said disabilities don't exist in the wizarding world. Magic fixes it all. I'm not then, even fucking okay. with you. Then better question, why are the wizards not doing anything for the rest of the world? Better question, why the fuck is Harry nearsighted? <laughs> Every, everything's That's good, good, but question. if you can't see, if, like, if you have diabetes, magic. If you have cancer, magic. Wheelchair, magic. If you're nearsighted, forget about it. No one can <laughs> help you. <laughs> No, but like, it's also like that thing. I know you wanted to devote this section to kind of like lighthearted shit. So that way we're not such fucking downers the whole time. Because it's going to get so much heavier in the next episode. Oh my God, I know. But (laughs) I was trying to keep this one a little bit lighter. (laughs) It bears addressing. It's It's like the miracle cure. Magic is the miracle cure that cures all disabilities. And that's also why there's no disability rep in Harry Potter. Except for fucking myopia, I guess. (laughs) 
if you can even call that a disability. But oh, um, I guess yeah, there is a disability. Voldemort is ugly. <laughs> Did you? Hear I diagnosed him with ugly. Did you hear what I said? What'd you say? I said, and yet stupidity is everywhere. <laughs> Literally, which is so disrespectful to the mm-hmm. disabled community. You know, just to have a miracle cure that fixes everything. Anyway, um, what were we talking about? Let's keep it light, Vesti. Yeah. We were talking about people who needed electronic shit to survive. Long answer short, uh, magic fixes that. Thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> long answer short, who needs a heart monitor when you have a wand? Apparently. I get that writing really, your parents is like really a thing. They really left the muggles out <laughs> to dry. Right? Oh my god. Poor Hermione. I just know that there's like some kid who comes to Hogwarts and sells ballpoint pens for like five <laughs> galleons a piece. And it's like, oh, it's a quill that you don't need ink for. They probably tape feathers to it. <laughs> He's probably a muggle-born Slytherin, if we're being real. It's like the quill that never runs out of ink. Well, and technically, that's not technology, like electronic. So no, exactly. It's to work within Hogwarts. So why are they not? I know they had pens in the 90s. But they didn't use them. They just used fucking quills at Hogwarts, which doesn't make sense Apparently. To me. <laughs> no, it does not. Well, wizards don't have logic. We went over this. Can you can you imagine the fact that Harry and Hermione are sitting there knowing that they could use like literal pens mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, got to use this quill. No, every time they like <laughs> spill ink on a homework assignment, they're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like if I had a fucking Bic, this wouldn't be happening. <laughs> and the fact that they measure their homework assignments in inches. What is that? Honestly, their homework is the worst part of everything. Like. Why are they making it so difficult? Like, Hogwarts has never met the 21st century. It is so nonsensical. It almost doesn't make sense. Because there's this one scene. Oh, fuck. I can't remember if it's in music books or not. But I remember it from when I was younger, at least. So Ron was, like, bitching about homework. And he's like, we have to write nine and a half inches. And Hermione's on 12. And she writes so small. Like, how, how big do you have to write for your professors to call bullshit? I'm so curious. Actually, good question. Because they don't have like the Times New Roman point twelve font, you know, or like, even like double spaced or like fine uh, college ruled paper. Yeah, like because their parchment doesn't have lines on it like that. Yeah, what if you what if you just like write really crooked? That would annoy me to no fucking end if I went mm-hmm. to Hogwarts. I know I write crooked. Like that would not mm-hmm. <laughs> without lines. I'm all over the place. I, it wouldn't fly. You got wibbly wobbles all, you know? Well, you think you your professor's, like, marked with... down for penmanship? Probably. They're, like, cursive only. <laughs> I don't know why Hermione never brought, like, a fresh pack of Bix into Hogwarts. <laughs> right. Because, you I know what? To keep the aesthetic. To keep the aesthetic. Um, I, saw, <laughs> I saw an argument that says that Hogwarts was steampunk, and I was like, don't know about that one. Um, no, you know, honestly, I know why Hermione didn't, because she's such a goody twos rule follower, which is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but why didn't Harry? Because Harry didn't give a shit. But the thing is, they like <laughs> sold quills in Diagon Alley, I'm pretty sure, that never ran out mm-hmm. of ink. Mm-hmm. What about a Bic pen? <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Just get a fucking ballpoint pen. I don't understand. 
we also can talk for imagine... like five minutes about ballpoint pens in this podcast episode <laughs> this about is, Harry Potter. This is important. This is can important. Can you imagine though getting to the end of your parchment, of your 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 nine inch parchment, finishing up your homework, and then you accidentally go to put your quill up and just a big blot of ink right in the middle of your damn paper. I would literally start crying. Probably just there's a way to like magic that out or something, but like I'd be pissed. Or there if probably you misspell is. things. Like, damn. Well, that's like a regular pen problem, too. So, like, let's not pretend I know. that I know. normal pens like, don't prevent you from misspelling shit. I just computers, man. Just type it. Like, just type it. Fine. We have talked for long <laughs> enough about ballpoint pens. Do you think that there's like wizard social media? Absolutely. Because you can't have that on the muggle social media, you know? But how Although do they, they have wizard they social media? But they and- don't really use technology, though. Exactly. Yeah, so probably not, actually. How am I supposed to know what my wizard friends are up to? You're going to have to write a letter by owl, man. Do they, like, send out out pictures by owl to, like, all their friends? (laughs) I guess, like, social media isn't as exciting when you can do magic. No, I think I'd still be interested in social media. Wizards don't have TikTok. Can you... I know, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> Can you imagine being a muggle-born and going to Hogwarts in your first year and you're like, and I oop? And then everyone's <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Coming with TikTok memes to Hogwarts. TikTok is your only personality. Or like Vine memes. To, to you you, you only speak in Vine quotes and everyone oh, thinks you're like no. so weird because they don't know. Instead of a bones or no bones day, it's a, it's a headless Nick has its head on day. <laughs> Can you imagine if you snuck your phone into Hogwarts and by some miracle it was working and you ran a meme account for Hogwarts? Do you think there's like I someone who like that. sells black market cell phones? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. There's some muggle-born out there that's doing that, you know? I agree. I agree. Uh, I think they I... do TikTok dances around the Whomping Willow or something. That would be fun. <laughs> I just imagined... Never mind, it's fine. No, um, what did you imagine? I I imagined just like them playing games with the Whomping Willow, like messing with it, and then running around. Red light, green light with the Whomping Willow. <laughs> Literally. But I was like, regular wizards would have done that. <laughs> no, literally, they don't need. But they. But this time, they'd have Squid Game audio. Oh God. favorite character bestie i want to know this my favorite character mm-hmm. not molly weasley Ooh, what do you have against molly weasley oh you don't know i don't think you've told me this i think she's a bitch and a bad mom i okay, think Ginny okay. was the golden child and she had so many children because she wanted a daughter and neglected her other children because of it and then when mm-hmm. fleur came into the family with bill she totally treated her like a bitch and Fleur mm-hmm. did not have that coming. And again, it goes to that stigma. When you're a kid, you are told that people are bad because the narration says that they are bad. And mm-hmm. Molly Weasley, who was nothing but kind to Harry because he was Harry fucking Potter, did not like Fleur. We also did not want to like Fleur. But the question is why? The answer is because she's pretty. Mm-hmm. Fleur did nothing wrong. Fleur did nothing wrong. Uh, and also she's mean fair, to Hermione she, too. To be fair, she was nice to Harry before she knew he was Harry. Because she's nice to other people who aren't her own children. Anyway. 
that's just my two cents on Molly Weasley. Uh, my favorite character. That's fair. I like Sirius Black. He's just, I, I'd fuck him. I feel that. <laughs> what about you, Bestie? Who's your favorite character? Are you, are you saying you're into dogs? <laughs> uh, or just, or, or, or you know just what? Because my second style. answer was Lupin. <laughs> no! <laughs> anyway, what about you? Who's your favorite character? Frankly, I really like Harry. I know that's basic, but he's so dumb. Oh, he's he so funny so well in the book. the whole thing, and it's so funny to me. No, the movies totally eliminated how fucking funny he is. Oh, we can talk about I what know, the movies got rid of. Bolded. Because uh, in the books, everyone's just wearing pointy hats everywhere. You notice that? Mm-hmm. And in the movies, they wear it like once in the first scene, and then never again. Yeah. Anyway, so my least favorite character... Mm-hmm. is Dobby in the second book specifically. He's just fucking annoying. He pissed me off to no end. You know what? That's fair I'm enough. Like, and he literally didn't do a good job. Like, it wasn't effective for his goals. <laughs> he was just annoying. Harry kind of did him a solid, though, by giving him a did. soft. No, Not gonna no. lie. Yeah. Dobby, free elf Dobby? Golden. Enslaved Dobby? Just just Dobby trying to prevent Harry from from doing getting to Hogwarts? Uh-uh. I don't like it. <laughs> also, fine. I have, speaking of that, I have some questions on this whole magic outside of uh, school thing. Because it's really not very efficiently done. Because it was such all, a bullshit like, rule. Because they pinned all of Dobby's rule. interactions on Harry and they were like, you're in the area, man. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Okay, so first off, in the, in the first book, they talk specifically, Petunia talks about how her sister would come home and use, or maybe it was Vernon. Anyway, they talked about how Petunia's sister would come home, this Lily, and she would use magic and stuff and terrorize Petunia. Mm-hmm. Right? Meaning that at that time, either there was no rule against using magic outside of school, or it just didn't matter that much. Mm-hmm. So and to have like a three strikes you're out system over seven years right ridiculous ridiculous second of all second of all okay how are they tracking this because they're just saying oh it was in the area what about kids from wizarding families how no, do you I know think that's the gag. those kids are using it or not i think that's the gag because i believe in later books there's a scene where Fred and George use magic and Harry's like, you're going to get in trouble. And it's like, they just know the area, dude. They could think it's our parents. And Harry's like, but, oh. <laughs> and how do, how do you not like at least check to make sure that it is that actual student before blaming the student? No, it's such a if bullshit system. If it's based on expulsion from school. You can't just not make sure that it was them or not. And there's no way that they can be so precise about everything else that goes on in this wizarding world and they can't figure that out. Literally. They can't, they can't like check the wand to make sure that the spell was done from that. Also, you have these kids, right? You have these kids that just accidentally use magic before they get to Hogwarts, right? It's just, it's just like, uh, oh, Harry has a thought of running away and he ends up on the rooftop. Mm-hmm. How are you going to say that just automatically ends at age 11 when they go to Hogwarts? Well, it didn't because in uh, book three, he did that to Aunt Marge on accident. Exactly. So then you go and blame those accidental incidents on these kids and 
threaten them with expulsion when in reality there was nothing they could do to prevent that because just that's just nature of, it's just another case of incompetent adult syndrome no literally like what you're gonna do <sighs> and you- and then the fact that the wizarding kids can use it but the muggle kids can't mm-hmm. because it's only known by area that's bullshit yeah no that didn't sit well with me even when i was a kid Bessie, how would you rate this book? Are these just specifically books one through four? Or, yeah. or should we save the rating for next um, week? Or do we want to rate? I almost don't think it's fair to rate something like this. Going back to the idea that it's not fair to simplify down complex issues and remove their nuance just for the sake of making it more digestible to an audience. I don't know mm-hmm. if we should necessarily assign a rating, at least not now. We will, we will get, we will figure this out. We will save our ratings okay. or whatever we decide to do for next week, for the end of the full series. So tune in for part two to figure out our decisions upon these books. Harry Potter, the second Harry. one. <laughs> it's our first two-parter. How exciting. Hey, since we're not giving ratings, should we give feelings upon these four books? I don't even know how to feel. Because there were certain points that were very exciting and it's easy to get caught up in the nostalgia. But I think overall, mm-hmm. you need to just take a step back and view it without the rose-colored goggles and realize what it means to you and how that might differ to how that negatively impacts other people, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, that does. It makes sense. I agree. Also, always fun to read with the rose-colored glasses on, but I do think you should take them off once in a while. And this is one of those cases. (laughs) Harry Potter and the two book readers. Harry Potter and young adult adult reviews. But you have to have the 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 and the. Harry Potter and the book bitches. I'm sure. Harry Potter. We upload episodes bi-weekly. Uh, that is once every other week, not twice a week. That is too much reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have other social media pages, including Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Goodreads. Those are all at Young Adult Adult Reviews. Uh, if you like what you hear, give us a follow and a like. We'd really appreciate it. You can also drop suggestions there or Spotify or wherever you want on our pages to tell us what books you think we should read we've got a couple recommendations that are coming up very exciting very exciting indeed thank you so much for listening we really appreciate each and every one of you Um, we do please tune in next week for the thrilling conclusion to harry potter well i think that is a wrap harry potter harry did you put your Oh, <laughs> <laughs>